This is Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Other side of Jordan? Other side of Jordan, yeah. Other side of Jordan, take one. afternoon, wherever you may be as you're listening to this radio program. This is Radio Orbit. My name is Mike Hagan, and it is 11.08 p.m. on the 7th of August, 2006, 
good to be with you this evening, and we'll be with you for the next, <clears throat> well, two hours and 50 minutes or so, and hopefully you'll be with me uh, for the duration, okay? All right, it's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, and uh, here we go. All right, the guest who is going to be joining me on the program in just a little while is my good friend. His name is Kent Stedman, and he owns, operates, runs, uh, is the proprietor over a website that is addressed at www.cyberspaceorbit, C-Y-B-E-R-S-P-A-C-E, orbit.com. And uh, Kent is the bard. He is a close friend, a wizard, a shaman of the highest order, in my opinion, and someone who I am very, very fortunate to be uh, friends and uh, compadres with. So, anyway, Kent's coming up in just a little while, about 50 minutes from now. If you're not familiar with him, stick around. It'll be enjoyable for you. And when we do things, Kent and I just sort of, we call it sitting around the pot-bellied stove, but really no particular agenda tonight. We're just going to chat it up and uh, see where it goes. That's sort of the way we do things, okay? So anyway, Kent Stedman coming up in about 50 minutes, www.cyberspaceorbit.com. And I suggest you jump on the web and go over there and check out Kent and his work before uh, you listen in in just a little while, all right? Okay. So uh, we started things off with Kenny Hall. And um, if you're not familiar with Kenny, he is directly related to Kent Stedman and a good... Uh, solution for the musical dilemma of this evening. And Kenny Hall is uh, an amazing musician who we interviewed actually sometime last year, and that show is in the archives. But Kenny's amazing. He's a fiddle player, a mandolin player, uh, I don't know, anything that has strings basically. He's blind from birth and has an amazing life story, but uh, just an amazing musician and someone who's been an inspiration to generations now of traditional. Uh, and bluegrass music since the early 1900s. So, okay, let's see. Um, let's take care of some business here. Thank you to Debbie. Debbie Johnson, of course. Free Range Radio Theater. Every Monday, 10 p.m. until 11, setting the show up. Tonight, Isaac Asimov. And for the next four weeks, I think, Isaac Asimov. Wonderful stuff uh, coming from Debbie and Free Range Radio Theater every week. Catch that an hour before this program on KOPN. Uh, before that, Kelvin and Jason, jazz plus blues equals whatever they decide. And uh, Tech Radio, love tech radio, uh, tech radio, even though Justin was gone tonight. He's the guy that always answers my questions, but John and John did a great job. And uh, Jeff starts things off uh, from 3 until 5 p.m. with Uncommon Light. And he plays some interesting, unusual, ambient, and electronic, and... I don't know, jazz, fusion, all kinds of interesting things. But uh, Uncommon Light from 3 to 5, getting things going every Monday. And Isaac or Yvonne coming in after me at 2 a.m. in the morning to finish things up, start things off for the day tomorrow. All right? Okay, thanks to Christopher Dunn. A big thank you to Christopher Dunn. Great show. Brilliant guy. And I look forward to having Chris back on the show when he's ready to release his new book, which we heard last week uh, is up and coming. So uh, looking very forward to that. Christopher was a wonderful guest, and, and uh, the information that he brings forth with regard to the megalithic monuments on the Giza Plateau and by association and, well, by similarity, many of the other 
monuments and architectural question marks all around this planet. So Christopher Dunn, thanks for being on the show, and uh, we look forward to having you back again, okay? We also played some great independent American music. The band is called Sun Kill Moon. Mark Kozilek, the musician behind the name, and uh, one of my favorite bands, if you haven't noticed, and if you missed last week's show and you want to hear them or you want to hear what Christopher Dunn had to say, as always, it's on the web at www.mikehagan.com. And uh, just uh, go on over to the archives page for the radio programs or for the music. And we have links to all of our previous musicians and guests. Okay? And tonight, actually, it's a big deal. I actually feel quite fortunate to actually have a website tonight after what happened this weekend. Um, we had a total hacker literally attack and destroy my entire website on Saturday morning. Sometime between like 11 p.m. And, and 1, literally, it was gone. And it was unbelievable how it happened. But all I know is that the individual or individuals that were responsible for it left their calling card along with an interesting devilish alien image on my homepage that said only this site was hacked by R3, then the capital letter, uh, the capital letter F, then an inverted exclamation point, then the letter NDR, the number 3, and the letter R again. So I don't know who it was, but it was uh, brutal. And it happened at a time, either by luck for them or uh, otherwise, when we were in the middle of a server update or something. I'm not even sure of all the technical uh, things that happened over the weekend, but the bottom line was it was really bad, and we lost all of our data. And the forum, everything that we've posted on the forum over the last six months or so was was lost. And anyway, it was a real nasty thing. And um, I wish it wouldn't have happened, but, uh, you know, live and learn. You know, you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen, that whole sort of idea. I guess all those things apply. But if you're the dirty bastard that did that to us, shame on you. But I forgive you. Now change your ways and come and join us. <laughs> we need people like you uh, that have the uh, knowledge to do this sort of stuff, all right? If not, if you don't want to join us, then just leave us alone, all right? Or give me a call. Before you leave us alone, call me one time. I've got maybe perhaps some, uh, some more deserving targets for you. Anyway, it was a bummer, but we're back up. And thanks to Larry and P.O., and everybody else who was involved uh, to help us get the site back up, and uh, we're rebuilding everything, and we'll have to uh, uh, just start from uh, scratch on the forum, and, you know, just the way the world works. Now, I will tell you this, though. Uh, it's a lesson in uh, humility and lots of other things, and we learned a lot as we went through it, and I think that the next time somebody tries to do something like this, it will probably be less effective and we will be able to recover much more quickly and without the uh, loss of databases that we had uh, over this last um, unfortunate experience. So, all right. Okay, so we were going to move along. Okay, we have the forum up, by the way, and there's also a live chat room, as we've had for the last few weeks, and that is up and running for those listening over the web. And uh, it's wonderful to have the interactivity that the live stream allows with the live chat. And tonight in particular, it will be great because Kent and I, uh, the nature of the conversations we have sort of um, 
is pretty friendly to other people, you know, posting questions and comments and that sort of thing. And we can uh, try to incorporate that stuff into the conversation as we move along into the program tonight. But uh, you're welcome to hop over there to the chat room. Just go to MikeHagan.com, uh, scroll down, you'll see the link to go over to the chat. And you can post some questions or comments or whatever, and we'll be peeking in there every so often, all right? All right, thanks for the nice emails. Hello to everybody who is listening over the web, live or otherwise. We are streaming right now and every week via Cosmic Waves Radio. <clears throat> Cosmic Waves Radio Network can be accessed on the web at www.cosmicwavesradio.com. Now, uh, speaking of server updates and all this stuff, Cosmic Waves is actually going through something like that right now, and they have at their own site a, a mirror site, which I should actually have for you here, and if you give me just a moment, I'll get it. But uh, in any case, if the, if the uh, stream somehow is lost because of their own update, we'll be able to go over to the mirror site there, and it should be carried. So uh, let's see. Where is Cosmic Waves? Let's see. Click here for the live broadcast. There it is. And the backup site is actually HTTP CWR dot red-eyed dragon dot com that's c-w-r-r-e-d-e-y-e dragon dot com and uh, just in case we lose the stream here at Cosmic Waves you can get it over there alright okay so uh, 20 minutes after the hour or so we've got Kent Stedman coming up in just a little bit <sighs> what should we talk about here well Cosmic Waves thanks to everybody over there that makes it happen for us live on the net every Monday night thanks again to Larry who's worked so hard uh, over the last couple of days to get the website back up and uh, hello to all the new visitors and registered users at the site and the forum. Yeah, we're rebuilding it, so join us. And unfortunately, for people who are members of the main site, we're going to have to re-register because, as I said, we had a catastrophic hacking incident that happened this weekend, and all of that information was lost. So, well, here's the good side of it. If you weren't quite happy with the name you chose when you registered the last time, Here's your chance to get one you like better. All right? So pick a good name. Pick a decent password, unlike me. You know, whoever did this, they had my administrative passwords. They had our username and passwords for our administrative stuff at the website. So, you know, and Larry does this stuff for a living. He's a security guy for, uh, you know, computer-type organizations and that so it was a pretty sophisticated attack what happened this weekend and i'm not sure why they did it i don't know if you know we just made somebody mad or if it was just you know someone playing and we was just were the the random victim uh, of uh, this sort of thing or if there was a reason for it i've been trying to think you know what what have we been talking about lately or what's been going on in the forum or what's been happening uh, that would have upset people i don't know the leo wanta thing sort of comes to mind so we'll have to get that back up as soon as possible up on the forum Larry and whoever else dig up that information on Leo Wanta because that story is still running and has legs and it's very strange but uh, I certainly want to watch it so get that back up there what else are we talking about psilocybin that's a big uh, story that came out of Johns Hopkins University over the last few weeks that we um, uh, gave quite a bit of time and I think that's an important one that may have upset some people but at any rate let's get that stuff back up on the forum there's no reason to not talk about it it's important stuff and uh, Marco Roden, of course, uh, he's always worried about people going after his work. So, anyway, who knows? Maybe it was innocent. Maybe it wasn't. doesn't matter. We're just going to move forward and uh, 
No one can stop what we're doing here, so don't sweat it, all right? Okay, the guys from Yachai, by the way, if you get back over at the site and uh, register up, you can get a copy downloaded of their amazing, wonderful CD called Sweet Mother Mercy. And it's great stuff, and you can get it over at my site, www.mikehagan.com. Larry also has some freebies for you of screensavers and this sort of thing. I'm trying to, uh, to, to make a deal with Lucy Pringle, uh, over there in London uh, to get access to some of her amazing photographs of the crop formations that she's photoed over all of these last 15, 20 years or so since she's been doing it. Uh, Lucy's been on the program a couple times if, if you're not familiar with the show or, or her, but she's an amazing aerial photographer and uh, private pilot who's been driving, <laughs> who's been flying, I should say, around the English countryside for 20 years taking photographs of these amazing things that uh, appear on the landscape there and have been for, for many, many years now, long before the days of Doug and Dave uh, stomping around on boards with ropes attached to them, trying to convince everyone that fractal representations of Julia sets uh, on uh, a field of wheat that occur in the middle of the night amidst rain uh, in two hours or less, um, you know, a little bit of a different story here. So, anyway, the crop formations are, are an amazing story. We've talked about it on the air a little bit, but I'm going to try to get Lucy to uh, do a little collaborative thing with us so we can have access to, hum- to some of her photos, and Larry can make a cool screensaver out of them. So, we're working on that, and we're always trying to do stuff uh, to share with you. So, anyway, get on the website. Go over to www.mikehagan.com, and let me know who you are, and, of course, thanks to those of you who have already done so, and I apologize if you have to do it again, all right? We're doing our best to make sure that this uh, is avoided in the future. All right, okay, the email address, orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, at AOL.com, orbitradio at AOL.com. The website, again, one more time, www.mikehagan.com. And I think we'll play a piece of music here. I'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about upcoming guests. And i got a few things in space weather to talk with you about, maybe a couple of items from the news, and then we'll have Ken Stedman with us at the top of the hour at, at, uh, at, uh, at midnight, okay? So, all right, in the meantime, let's play some more music from Kenny Hall. This is a project that Kenny did, I want to say five or six years ago. I don't have the date on it. I should open it up and look, but uh, it was something he did with, a, with an organization called the Skiffle Symphony, and this, uh, it's a double CD, a two-CD set, Kenny Hall and the Skiffle Symphony. We heard uh, on the other side of Jordan to start us off, and we're going to hear Jealous Hearted Me right now. This is for anyone who thinks it's for them, <laughs> and anyone who doesn't. It's Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. 89.5 FM, Kenny Hall, and the Skiffle Symphony. Back in a minute. Talk to you then. Me. I said I'm jealous, 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 jealous,
songs there from Kenny Hall, the wonderful Kenny Hall, this particular project, uh, Kenny Hall and the Skiffle Symphony. We heard Jealous Hearted Me, and Buddy, won't you roll down that line, we'll hear, we'll hear a bunch more uh, from Kenny Hall and some stuff from the Sweets Mill String Band, my friends from Fresno that, uh, uh, that Kenny plays with and has played with for many, many years. So... Lots of good traditional uh, country and bluegrass music coming up in the next couple and a half hours, all right? Okay, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit. It's just about 11.30, and I'm looking at my notes here, and let's talk a little bit about who's coming on the show and what we're going to do for the next few weeks, all right? Tonight, the bard, the wonderful Kent Stedman, cyberspaceorbit.com. If you're not familiar, get on the web. Go see what he's up to. And uh, it may not be apparent these days, from uh, the website because Kent has been uh, focused on some uh, earthly things but he's a wonderful artist and I need to tell him to get some more of his art up on the front page of his website got too much war and destruction up there right now but uh, at any rate Kent is a man who pays attention and has for many years and 
the smart crowd is paying attention to him, too. So 30 minutes, we'll have Kent on the air, and we'll talk with him about who knows what. But on the web, check him out at cyberspaceorbit.com. All right? All right, so that's coming up in just a half an hour. Next week, the 14th of August, we're going to celebrate the two-year birthday of Radio Orbit. So we're going to have a party down here at the radio station. If you're a listener, a fan, an enemy, a friend, whatever, you're welcome down. The doors will be open. I'd love to meet you. Say hi. We'll have, I'm sure, a number of musical guests that will drop in uh, and play some stuff for us live here in the studio. I'm sure we'll have a couple guests that uh, we get on the phone. I'm sure we'll talk to Kent again briefly next week. But maybe Jay and maybe Dennis and, I don't know, whoever I can get on the phone for a few minutes just to say hi. We'll try to do that next week. We're going to have a good time, play a bunch of music, and uh, just enjoy it, okay? Radio Orbit, two years old. Actually, the anniversary was the 25th of July, but we're going to celebrate it on the 14th of August, all right? So if you're a local listener, if you're uh, a listener from anywhere on the planet, I would love it if you came here and um, said hi. You're more than welcome to. And if you come from far away, trust me, we'll figure out a way to take care of you, all right? Okay, what else? Uh, the 21st is sort of open. We'll either do an open line show or I will have a couple of gentlemen, a father-son uh, duo, as it, as it were, Kevin and Matthew Taylor. And these guys have written a book called Land of No Horizon. And it's something that I've been interested in for a long time. And it's going to sound crazy to you, uh, to those of you who have never heard this particular theory before, but it's basically the hollow earth theory. And I'm not going to get too deeply into it here, but uh, Kevin and Matthew Taylor, they sent me a couple copies of their book. And I've been interested in this for a while. And this guy, Jean Lamprecht, has written some amazing stuff over the years. And I've been familiar with his work for a long time. And the whole Admiral Byrd's diary thing got me, you know, sort of scratching my head. Uh, regardless of whether it's a legitimate document or not. And anyway, I think it's an interesting program. So we're going to do a show with Kevin and Matthew Taylor, the authors of The Land of No Horizon, and we'll discuss this scientific theory that the Earth is hollow and uh, there are worlds inside it and outside of it, and our perceptions are basically flawed. So... Anyway, that's coming up in a couple weeks, maybe on the 21st of August. We've got Jeff Stray, uh, Dale Pendell, wonderful author of uh, Pharmacopoeia and a number of other wonderful books, Richard K. Moore on the 9th of September, G. Edward Griffin, Ed Griffin. Uh, I did a show with G. Edward Griffin back in 2004, and we talked about, well, we talked about 9-11. I think it was on 9-11, actually, uh, 9-11-2004. I had... Ed Griffin on the program, and we talked about what happened on September 11th, and uh, a lot of things, United Nations and the nature of uh, large organizations and think tanks and foundations, you know, the Ford Foundation in particular, and Carnegie Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, all these foundations. So anyway, nefarious stuff for sure, but uh, we didn't really touch on Ed Griffin's Real expertise, and he has and he has many, but 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 the one where he really stands out is the Federal Reserve. And if you are unfamiliar with the nature of the Federal Reserve, then G. Edward Griffin is somebody who can really uh, shed some light on some of the things that are happening in 
current events, and uh, it's uh, enlightening material. He wrote a book many, many years ago that's called The Creature from Jekyll Island, and it is the sine qua non when it comes to explanations of the Federal Reserve, which is a private corporation, by the way. It has nothing to do with the United States government. It has the name that makes it sound like it does. But the Federal Reserve is a private institution whose member banks are owned privately, in many cases by European owners. And uh, anyway, we're going to do a show on the Fed coming up sometime, I don't know, September, October, with G. Edward Griffin, the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island. All right? So anyway, as I said, Jay Widener, back on the program soon. Uh, his video documentary, 2012, The Odyssey, is absolutely outrageous and cool and wonderful. And some of the people that are uh, presenting their material on that particular documentary have been on the program. John Major Jenkins, in particular, who is just brilliant in uh, this particular video. And Rick Levine's been on the program. Uh, Greg Braden, Jeff Stray, who I mentioned earlier. Anyway, lots of people, and it's a great thing, and I can't wait to talk to Jay about it on the air. Uh, Daniel Pinchback, I've uh, mentioned that a few times over the last couple uh, weeks, but we'll have Daniel on the program as soon as we can get uh, the schedule worked out. And lots more to come, as always, okay? So, all right, let's take another break here. We'll play a couple more songs from Kenny, and I'm going to get Kent on the phone. We'll come back. We'll do a little bit of news. Well, let me do space weather real fast, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll just whip this out really quickly here, okay? All right, if you're up before dawn tomorrow, step outside. Look toward the rising sun, toward the east, okay? You'll see Venus, you'll see Mercury, and they will be pretty bright, looking right through that rosy glow of the sunrise. And uh, our two bright morning stars that aren't stars will be coming up close to one another. And as a matter of fact, in the next couple, three days, by the 11th, they will be right next to uh, one another uh, right before sunrise, and it will be a very pretty sight. You'll just have to look um, toward the east. If you can recognize the constellation Gemini, you can look just beneath Gemini, and Orion will be up and to the south a little bit. But anyway, on the 10th and the 11th, go outside before dawn if you're awake and take a look east, and you'll see beautiful pictures up there in the sky, Mercury and Venus. Uh, getting very close to one another, okay? All right, what else? We have an interesting aurora borealis that uh, showed up this morning, actually. There was a solar wind strain that hit the Earth uh, that sparked a pretty significant geomagnetic storm. The arrival of the stream was sort of unexpected, and um, the auroras were an interesting surprise. Why was it unexpected? Hmm, I don't know. You'll have to go investigate it yourself because we don't have time to get into it here. But just go over to spaceweather.com or any place like that. You'll probably find some clues, all right? All right, what else? Um, yeah, there were, there were actually some images taken from Colorado uh, where the auroras were bright enough to see with the naked eye in Colorado. And there's some great pho- uh, photographs that were taken that are up on the web. So if you're interested in that stuff, again, spaceweather.com is a great resource for that. All right, also the Perseid meteors, the annual meteor shower, uh, peaks on the 12th of August. And... Unfortunately, we've got a full moon tonight and tomorrow. We'll have uh, maybe, I don't know, quarter moon or so in a few days. And, you know, it's going to sort of brighten the sky a little bit where some of the meteors will be more uh, visible than others. And if the, if, the, if the moon weren't there, it would be 
a little bit more spectacular. But at any rate, nothing you can do about that. It's the way the world works. And you'll see, you'll still possibly see some pretty impressive meteor activity if you go outside on maybe the 8th or the 9th and through the 12th. All right? The best thing to do is go out early. Look, the moon is out, and even though the moon's full right now, or it will be full uh, tomorrow, um, there's times during the night when the moon is not up yet or it's down, and that's the time to go out. So if you go out around 3 a.m., for example, uh, a couple hours before sunrise on the 8th or the 9th, then you'll, you'll have a moonless sky, and then you might see a nice meteor or so. All right? Okay, what else? On the 7th through the 10th of August, it's a workshop in Brussels, Belgium, the workshop on deep impact as a world observatory event. These are guys that just are dying for the big one to smack into us so they can document what happens. <laughs> anyway, uh, what else? August 7th through the 11th, Soho 18, Beyond the Spherical Sun. This is an astro-seismology conference that's being held in the United Kingdom. Who knows what the hell that's about? Uh, August 8th, the fifth anniversary of Genesis. Uh, Genesis was a, was a probe that was launched into uh, the... Well, basically the atmosphere of the sun and then brought back here to Earth so they could examine some of the particles that it picked up. And the brilliant guys decided they would catch it with a helicopter in the deserts of Utah or something like that, and they missed. <laughs> anyway, uh, what else? August 9th, the 30th anniversary of Luna 24. That was a Soviet moon sample return back in 1976. August 10th, Mercury, as I said, will be very close to Venus just a couple degrees, uh, degrees apart in the morning time. And on the 10th, Neptune is, is also at opposition to the Earth. August 10th, we also have the 40th anniversary of Lunar Orbiter 1. That's an American probe, 1966. And the Perseid meteor shower, as I said, peaks on the 12th. Right? So, anyway, as always, things happening above your heads. And there's always comets and asteroids getting close and going by the sun. I don't even mention them anymore, but uh, they're always happening every day, every week. So... We're living in a dynamic universe, a dynamic solar system, and it's an interesting place and one that can change at any moment. So live life, enjoy it, pay attention, all right? Okay, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, and it's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Check me out on the web at www.mikehagan.com. We'll have Kent Stedman in just a few minutes from cyberspaceorbit.com. In the meantime, Kenny Hall from Skiffle Symphony.
Hall and the Skiffle Symphony. That was uh, Flop Eared Mule. And what else did we hear? I love Flop Eared Mule. That's the greatest. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, Cripple Creek. So, all right, more from Kenny Hall, and we'll hear uh, we'll hear some uh, some Sweet Smell String Band uh, coming up too at the top of the hour here probably. Okay. All right, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, eighty nine point five FM. You can check us out on the web at KOPN. .org, and I uh, fully encourage you to do so and support this radio station. It is a treasure. So, all right, what else? Um, on the web also, uh, for my website and to link over to Kent's site and find out what he's up to, hop over there to www.mikehagan.com. And Kent's web- uh, website, one more time, is cyberspaceorbit.com. All right. So, uh, in the news, before we bring Kent on the air, there are a few things I want to mention to you. Uh, actually, in space weather, I should have read this, but uh, there is an interesting story that came out actually on the PBS show Origins recently. Uh, there's a, um, uh, an astrophysicist that does that show. His name is Neil deGrasse, uh, or Neil deGrasse Tyson. Anyway, he talks about how there is an asteroid coming very, very close to the Earth. 
the projected trajectory of this asteroid, which is called Apophis, which is incidentally named for the Egyptian god of death and darkness, that's nice, uh, will come very close to, to the Earth in 2029 and have a pretty decent chance of actually hitting the planet uh, in 2036. And it's a pretty big asteroid. So we got that to look forward to. Of course, if this place is still around by 2036, I doubt that an asteroid is going to do much more damage than's already been done unless we get our act together. So hopefully by then we'll have things under control on the surface of the planet and then we can start to deal with potential problems from above. At any rate, about uh, 30 years from now, a big rock is supposed to smash into us. Okay. Uh, let's see. That's in the New York Daily News, by the way. All right, what else? Oh, here's a wonderful one. X-rays reveal Archimedes' hidden writings. Check this out. This is from the San Francisco Chronicle and pulled out the AP line. Previously hidden writings of the ancient Greek mathematician Archimedes, who was, you know, outrageously brilliant, are being uncovered with powerful X-ray beams nearly 800 years after a Christian monk scrubbed off the text and wrote over it with prayers. Over the past week, researchers at Stanford University's, uh, University's Linear Accelerator Center in Menlo Park have been using x-rays to decipher a fragile 10th century manuscript that contains the only copies of some of Archimedes' most important works. Anyway, more about that on the web. You can find all this stuff at my site in the news section. But this is a really interesting one. And uh, wonderful work, again, uh, being done by the church. Okay, what else? Uh, another Egyptian mystery. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to the Valley of the Kings, another ancient puzzle pops up on the radar screen. This is something that Chris Dunn would probably be interested in and probably could shed some light upon. But at any rate, the uh, Amarna Royal Tombs Project says that radar readings show that there could be another 3,500-year-old chamber from the days of Akhenaten, uh, I'm sorry, Akhenaten or Tutankhamun, uh, not far from the recently the recently explored chamber that was that was designated KV63, and there are some people there that say that it is a find of perhaps great significance. So that means we'll probably never hear any more about it. But anyway, interesting for now. All right, what else? The scientist whom history forgot. We need to find someone who knows a lot about this woman, and we'll do a show. All right. This is written by a guy named David uh, Badanis from The Guardian in London, but the, the story goes like this. A few years ago, I was researching a book about Einstein when I stumbled on a footnote about an obscure French woman of the early 18th century. Her name was Emilie de Châtelet. According to the note, she had played a role in developing the modern concept of energy and had acquired a certain notoriety in her day. Uh, it left me intrigued, and what I discovered as I tracked down her letters and books over the next few months astounded me. That footnote had understated her significance entirely. Emily du Châtelet had played a crucial role in the, in the development of science. What's more, she had a wild life. Anyway, I need to find out more about this woman, and maybe she's someone that we should talk about. Even though I beat on science quite a bit, maybe she was a real scientist, you know, one who actually observed the data. Um, or didn't ignore data, maybe I should put it that way. Or didn't ignore areas where they didn't like the data, maybe I'll put it that way. Anyway, okay, let's see. 
what else in the news? New observations suggest the universe is larger than previously measured. Oh, all right. Now, what the hell is that? We, we get told over and over again that the universe is expanding. And now, we're to, we're, we're, since 1998, we've been told that it's expanding faster and faster, which defies all the previous models. Nobody can explain that. At any rate, somehow now it's, it's bigger than it's supposed to be. But I'm not sure how a living organism that's expanding all the time. You know, I just I don't, I don't know. I just don't get it. Right? Whatever. Okay, what else? Supernova make dark matter bloat. The invisible dark matter at the center of galaxies is not as dense as we would expect, and now we know why. It seems that the explosion of exhausted old stars are to blame for puffing out dark matter. More spitting into the wind here. All right, whatever. Okay, let's get to Kent Stedman here in just a minute, but I want to read one more thing before we go to Kent. Well, I should read. I got, I got time for another news story here. This is one that I put in my notes, but I don't have on the website. Listen to this. Hackers clone radio chip passports. Passports and other ID cards incorporating radio chips can be remotely spied upon, jammed, and even copied, computer experts revealed at a major conference that ended on Sunday. Radio frequency ID technology uses a chip about the size of a grain of rice to send a short-range radio signal to a scanner. It has been touted as a highly secure, simple way to authenticate, uh, authenticate people and track objects. Hmm. However, at the Black Hat Conference in Las Vegas, Lucas Grunwald of German, uh, of German computer security company DN Systems showed that RFID passports can be cloned with relative ease. He found that passports designed according to the International Civil Aviation Organization standard can be cloned. Uh, such passports are already issued in the UK and other European countries and will be introduced to the US in October 2006, blah, blah, blah. The whole passport design is totally brain damaged, Grunwald told Wired.com. From my point of view, all these RFID passports are a huge waste of money. They're not increasing security at all. You know, go figure. I mean, the level of the technology always advances on both sides. You know, the crooks are as good as the enforcers and usually better. In fact, the crooks usually develop the technology and the enforcers usually try to use it against them. And that's why they're always behind the game. And that's why the crooks are usually running the show which is obviously apparent on this planet right now. So, anyway, let's get to Kent. Oh, got five minutes. I'm sorry, I have to read this. I promised I would do it. Yesterday was the 61st anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Three days later, on the 9th of August, 1945, it happened again on Nagasaki. There is a group that's called... Japanese for peace every year they have a contest and um, for people to submit art and poetry and music uh, and this sort of thing in memorial of what happened back then and I'd like to read a poem this is a wonderful poem that's written by a young woman whose name is Jackie Lau she was only 10 years old when she wrote it and um, here it is a single moment causes so much grief, an event to scar all the world around, to challenge human's race belief that right and wrong are easy to be found. Eyes once clear with life now drip black sorrow. They saw death, lives stolen, cruel conflicts cost, 
haunted by the truth of no tomorrow. Followed by the sad cries of those who lost, just look, see the need for a peaceful heart as turmoil runs throughout society. The need to be greatest must depart. Treat everyone with common decency. Let children live ignorant of war's pain. Turn this small world to paradise again. A beautiful poem by a young woman, 10 years old, Jackie Lau. It's Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. We'll be back in just a minute with Kent Stedman from CyberspaceOrbit.com. Let's go to the bakery, boys. It is Mike. It is KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, and you are listening to Radio Orbit. All right, straight up midnight, and uh, we're lucky to have the Bard with us. It's been a long time. Kent Stedman from CyberspaceOrbit.com. He's a former art professor. He's a brilliant artist, a writer, and a good friend of mine. I'm really pleased to say hello to him, as I always do, and to let him say hello to all of you. Bardo, hello. 
Howdy, howdy. <clears throat> hey, Mike. Yo. Found something here. Go ahead. Found something. I've been looking through my archives. Wow, that takes a little bit. I've been crazy of... enough to be obsessed on the Internet for the last since 1907. <laughs> 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 I've lost track. I'm an old, crazy old. But, uh, okay, ready for some poetry? Please. More than poetry. Folks, this is a secret formula. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to enunciate this better than I usually do. And I'll go pretty fast, but it'll be recorded for history forever and ever. So, you ready for this? I got ten recorders going, by the way, because I've been hacked. I've had my every database is taken tonight. They're not taking anything, Ken. That happens to me all the time. Sorry to hear it, though. <laughs> <laughs> to me all the time. I know you've been telling me about you. Like you now I know what it's like. Okay. You're, just, you're doing your thing all of a sudden blank. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, i got a secret for you. All right. <clears throat> okay, now be patient here. Ready? Okay, it goes like this. Parts. you got to get some parts. you got to get an old Zenith body hearing aid. A plastic pill bottle with a snap cap, not twist lock. Your mother's nylon stockings and her nail polish, a glass jar, a piece of stiff paper, sunlight, a windowsill, a fly, a fly, and a pair of sharp scissors. Like my poetry so far? Here's some part like two. Right. To do. Drill a 116th inch hole in the cap of the pill bottle using one leg of the scissors. Drill a 116th hole in the base of the pill bottle using one leg of the scissors. Cut a tiny piece out of mom's stocking. She'll never miss it. <laughs> Use the nail polish to adhere this over one of the holes you have just bored. Here we go, part three. Okay. Repeat the process for the second hole. Let it dry. Now, look at the windowsill. And wait for a fly. In the meantime, make a hole about three-fourths the size of the pill bottle in the paper near one end. Okay. Catch the fly using the jar inadvertently, sneaky, and sliding the paper under the opening of the jar when the fly rises. Wrap the remaining nylons around the jar to darken the inside. Place the jar right side up and place the pill bottle over the opening in the paper so that when the fly goes to the light, you will go through the hole and into the pill bottle. Okay, got it. Part whatever. <laughs> Four. Now you must get the cap on the pill bottle in place of the paper without losing the fly. Right. This part can be tricky because flies are sometimes smart. Most times. Got the fly helplessly imprisoned? That's a question. Mm. She can't escape through the holes because of the acoustically transparent nylon mesh. Place the hand in audio mode and put the mic against one hole of the pill bottle. Place the earpiece on the other hole. Crank up the volume. Feedback will be heard. Experiment with different volume and tone combinations. 
rotate the entire assembly with respect to its environment. Now here comes the conclusion. The fly will vanish without leaving any form of residue except perhaps a fly speck. I have done this successfully three times. <laughs> I like to believe that the fly went to an alien planet or another dimension. If so, it is no wonder that the aliens are looking for the perpetrator. Hans Russell. Hans. I can't believe it's Hans that wrote that. Oh, you blew me away, Ken, because... <clears throat> now, that's on the record. That's permanently. This is going to be probably somewhere on the Internet, we hope. We have to tell people who Hans was. Well, we a little while ago heard you talking about people like Archimedes and Einstein and Pythagoras you know, you know, I and Kenny Hall. You know, Kent, I consider Hans uh, an ancestor, a, a spirit guide, you know, someone who's really with us. Yeah, Hans passed away. When was it? About mm, five years at least. 98, something yeah, like that. Yeah, seven years, something like that, yeah. Rest in peace, Hans. Mm -hmm. Hans Russell. But he was... He was kind of like a Nikolai Tesla, you know. And Merlin or something. And Merlin combined. He had his own sort of backwoods scientist workshop with all kinds of electronic devices because he was experimenting primarily with <clears throat> waveforms like did Tesla and like Maxwell and others. Yeah, electromagnetism. He was just way into it. I mean, I mean, like intuitive into it, like unreal. Anyway, Hans Russell, he was feeding Mike and I a whole bunch of conversation and information, very deep, very soulful. But he was not a mainstreamer. I mean, people would say unto Hans Russell, this guy's really eccentric, maybe a crackpot. But if he's a crackpot, the hell with the mainstreamers, man. <laughs> because I think... <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I, you know, I just found a, a small probe of some of his work. One of the dumbest things I've ever done is to have all that information with Hans and then to lose a lot of it. And I lost... Like, you got hacked? I got hacked, too. Back in those days, I was using really... Uh, primitive computer right. and it would hack it I mean it would just crash itself <laughs> <laughs> all the time it's like a it's an old I can't remember what it was at first I had a Tandy sensation <laughs> 25 megahertz and then I had an old oh, I can't recall I had one that was a TRS-80 I think they called it and then people made fun and called it a trash 80 I remember that yeah <laughs> then I got a Commodore then I had a little Mac the, the Apple II Oh, man, I've had all kinds of different ones. Now they crash on me, but only at the most critical of moments. And, you know, uh, I've been through the academic world. I was a ordained college professor. <laughs> <laughs> I got my degrees, I, and I went in and became a teacher, and I settled into that niche for 23 years. And it was... Very exciting and very dismal at the same time. Hmm. Because so, yeah. uh, as an artist myself, I was always resisting the sort of academically correct. Because I saw it as a sort of subtle form of brainwashing. Right. 
So over the years, I went out of my way to try to find what's really happening elsewhere in other circles, different people, way away from the ivory tower and academia. And as a result, I met people, I started playing music, you know, old-timey music with Kenny Hall, and I started meeting various uh, eccentric people, an old guy named Arthur, I'll never forget him. During during the daytime hours, he was a teacher. At night, though, he dressed up in a wizard's costume and waved a quartz uh, wand around, around in yeah. the air. You know, people like that, the Renaissance Fair people, and uh, the artists and the poets and the mad scientists. And, and even downtown at Courthouse Park, you know, I eventually went through a phase where I would happen, for some strange reason, to be meeting a lot of winos. <laughs> Don't make it. And uh, and I was always blown away by the unexpected personality that just sort of drifted past me and laid on laid on to me some really soulful information or taught me a soulful way, you know, like Kenny with his music. And even though it sort of hip pocket down, hunkered down, traditional kicking music you know oh man you know and this stuff grows on me I've, I've been playing uh i started the the show off with a couple songs from this uh this project that he did called uh kenny hall and the skiffle symphony and that it's uh, it's uh, so cool there's this one song that's called um flop-eared mule yeah <laughs> it's the best i just love it and this stuff totally grows on you i mean you know you introduced me to this i don't know five years ago six years ago uh, maybe longer, but anyway, I mean, it's really now uh, a, a big part of what I listen to. Where, I mean, just a few years ago, I would never he- have even considered it as as something to listen to, n- much less something that was highly skilled and really, really cool. You know? Yeah, the lyrics are great. Oh you my god, it goes so like clever. this: mew, 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 <laughs> flop eared, flop eared, flop eared. You <laughs> and then you, 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 flop-eared, flop-eared, you. Ah, yes, but brilliant. that's it. I mean, what else do you need? Uh, or Angeline the Baker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Angeline the Baker. Angeline the Baker. Angeline the Baker. Hey, you know, we got. I'm, I'm, I'm bumming. We have, uh, you know, the guys who are friends of both of ours at Cosmic Waves Radio that are that are helping us stream. They uh, are they're doing a server update right now, and I just had some people in the chat say they lost the stream. Um, but there's a backup that they're trying to get up. But there's a, a bunch of people here that are saying hello to you, and 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 one guy in particular says, "Did Kent bring his slide guitar? He's the master." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, I'm sure he's got it sitting around there somewhere, got a dobro or something." But um, you know, uh, you, some of you people that maybe the stumbled my way over the past 10 years. I I live in a really tiny apartment that's cluttered to the ceiling with all kinds of stuff, and right next to me is this. All right. Hey, Ken, i tell you what. I'm gonna and the reason you... it's right next to me is because if I reach the other way about three feet, <laughs> yeah, I run into a wall. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, pick on that for a minute. Uh, and let me run to the to the studio next door to see if there's anything on my end I can do about this stream, okay? But uh, talk it up a little bit and play if you like, all right? 
Yeah. All right, be back in just a minute, everybody. It's Kent, and uh, let him uh, uh, do whatever he likes to do. Back in a minute. This is Mike. Well, okay, folks. I don't know exactly what to do, but I'm reaching in my pocket, and I'm pulling out a little glass tube that fits on my pinky finger. Then I'm reaching back in my pocket, and I'm pulling out a, a finger pick. And I'm going to reach up on the uh, hook on my wall and pull down a guitar that looks like it has a hubcap down on the wide end. And luckily it's in tune. In fact, it's in tune to a single chord, which is a chord of D. It's called open tuning. And the hubcap on the end is called a resonator. This is a bottleneck dobro. And if you lay your left hand down instead of twisting your fingers around in lots of different directions to make guitar chords, you just lay this little old bottle cap slide down it and go like this. When you get back bored of that part, you go to a different chord. Hear that? Then you add some lyrics to it, if you want to. Well, I have my mama. But my mama won't have me. I have my mama. Mama won't have me. I feel like a bird. Feel like a bird without a tree. Thank you for that little filler. I think I got the stream thing worked out. I don't know if it was on my end or not, but I think I got a signal going out again. So, anyway, streamed again. I think we are back. Hey, did they get the uh, Hans Russell material? I got it. Don't worry. Hey, listen, folks. I'm, I, I, we may not have been live. Let's do it again. No, no, I'll put it up on my website. Well, I mean, I've got, I, I definitely have the recording. I just don't know if the stream was live oh. uh, when, when, when the, uh, when the Hans Russell material was going out. Hans Russell was a wizard. Yeah. He's a, a Merlin. Merlin. He passed away, uh, 98, 7, 98. But before he passed away, he laid an awful lot of information on ordinary people like me, myself, and Mike, others, uh, <clears throat> due to computer crashes and various complications i lost a lot of it but i found on the internet archive 
which is, I guess, contained within the Google Empire, I found some stuff from from Hans, and I don't. There's a lot missing, and I'm going to keep looking. But uh, here's one. He says, "There is the increasing awareness of and trepidation about surveillance by invisible entities, such as MIBs, aliens, spirits, who knows what else." As a security device, this one is tops. I took an old Boon Tune electronic model 91 CRF voltmeter and cleaned it up a bit, remounted, remounted the glass in the water, oh wait a minute, remounted the glass in the meter and stuck a wire in the left hole of the probe socket. <laughs> he says, I don't know if this is safe, but I got no voltage readings here with my DMM. Then I turned it on and adjusted the range control. If even a toe lifts in someone else's shoes, the meter deflects. It is very responsive, extremely sensitive. Try it. <laughs> yeah, Hans is something else. Hans was something else, Kent. I miss him. That guy was something else. I loved reading the stuff that he would write. And, and, and he was certain that there was just all kinds of things going on uh, you know, completely off the radar of you, me, and everybody else for the most part. Yeah, and it was due to his own intensive laboratory research, which went on his whole life. Right. Yeah, there was actually, you know, I, I, I get this magazine called Fate Magazine in, uh, in the mail once a month because Phyllis Galdi, the woman who, who's the editor there, uh, she's been on the program and, and, and we're friends and she sends me the magazine and there's an article this month that's called The Men in Black Ride Again <laughs> and uh, and I, people laugh but it's a phenomenon that uh, I mean that some people that seems to be reasonable report wasn't that Johnny Cash or something <laughs> <laughs> I love Johnny Cash oh yeah he was the man in black for sure this is written by this guy Scott Corrales and the guy who, who writes uh I think he, he he writes a lot of the the UFO does a lot of the UFO reporting from south of the border. I know he's written some stuff. Uh, well, yeah, as you and I know from talking to your various guests, some of them brilliant, brilliant. Uh, there are a lot of people out on the cutting edge that are kind of on the lamb, you know. Oh, no question. I uh, got an email from a guy today. You remember Carl Chilla, the the metal head down in California? The, you the, bet. That took an old caddy and he built an onboard hydrogen converter fuel catalytic converter. Right, right. Thus, and and redid the engine with various aircraft parts and some better metals, certain parts within it. But I mean, you open the hood, it still looks like you're looking in the hood of a caddy. But the only difference is pour some water in the gas tank and it cracks it on the way to the engine and off you go. Mm-hmm. Now, they can hydrogen, of course, is age old. In fact, a lot of our lights in this country were a byproduct of what they call town gas, which is uh, hydrogen pumped into the, to the petroleum natural gas Methane, whatever they're using, propane, whatever they're using at the time, natural gas, they pump hydrogen gas into it too. Mix it up and then go through the same pipe system and light the lamps to cross America back at the turn of the sensors mm-hmm. called town gas. But the trick is, is to get that converter, that onboard converter. 
so that some big company isn't making the hydrogen for you, and then you pay a big bucks at the pump station, which is available now all over the place across the country, even in places like Greenland. You can you can burn hydrogen. But the trick is the onboard converter, so that you put water in one end and crack the hydrogen and store it, or better yet, just burn it on the other end. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I talked to a guy that introduced and preserved that information from Carl Cello, who was just a punk kid metalhead, you know, playing uh, rock and roll music using his funds to do his laboratory research in his garage. It's conversion, hydrogen conversion. Well, this guy that is, who's an old man sort of reminds me of Hans in a lot of ways. Is now kind of on the lamb and he's kind of moving from place to place because he's saying there are people coming after him. <laughs> and uh, the more I read, the more I de- dig into these things. I think there is a threat to some of these people that are coming up with energy systems that threaten BP. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the oil you know, Kent, there was actually something, I'm trying to find it here, but the, there was something in the news um, from New Scientist about, you know, the water engine deal. And that was just recently, within the last week or two. Well, there's the news about Stanley Meyer, who got, he got a water engine working by cracking the water using a sort of a, a, a oh man, I don't know, sort of an energy resonance. Right here, sure. Check this out, all right? But Look, Stanley Myers, you got to kill him. I know. I know. Listen, to the, the, actually, this is just from this morning. This is August 7, 2006, right? From, uh, from New Scientist, you know, a pretty reputable magazine. I get it every week. It comes out every week. You, you, have, to, you have to publish at least every week right now, or, you, or, or you're way behind the curve. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because the stuff that's coming out every week... Is it has to be written and submitted at least a week before, right? Yeah. So the so the information that comes out is you know when, when I get my magazine, it's a week to two weeks old, and and they consider that way too long, right? Because they have to compete with releases on the web now, for example, right? Which can be immediate. That's what's so hard about writing a book, for example, these days. By the time you write it and publish it, it's completely obsolete, unless it's fiction. But then again, everything's fiction, I guess. So anyway, anyway check this out. Um, from New Scientist, water engine for real? Uh, scientists say H2O, the hydrogen system, could be ready by decade's end. In David Mamet's The Water Engine, an amateur inventor derives an engine that runs on water, blah, 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 blah. According to New Scientist, the car will be able to produce hydrogen to run the fuel cell via reaction of boron with water, producing a gas that can either power an internal combustion engine or generate electricity. The only emissions of such a reaction is boron oxide, which can be converted back to boron. Now, that's interesting. A prototype, in other words, the thing runs on boron. <laughs> it converts it to boron oxide and then back to boron, so it seems like you wouldn't need anything else. A prototype could surface by 2009 if no accidents happen. <laughs> that's what it says in the article. That's pretty funny. If no, if no accidents happen, somebody's got a sense of humor. Yeah, well, I get, uh, you know, uh, I get email all the time. Here's the one I got, oh, let's see, on the 6th. I'm pleased to join the family of oil fighters, and I'd like you to see my modest new website at http geocities.com, water fuel, 
11. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, go to my website and you'll get the link for it. Yeah, you've got 300 pictures, 250 links, and one electrolyzer, and one of his own electrolyzer plans. So I click through to it, go to his main page, all kinds of topics and some stuff. And I click through again, well, what are his electrolyzer plans? And I come across this. It says, this may be the simplest and fastest way to get a hydroxy generator in your car. Just buy and install a brown gas welding machine, 220 volt to 400 watt, 120 L per hour, for a 300 USB here in Asia, products made in China. Buy and install an inverter to run the brown machine from the battery inverter. (laughs) Install, if needed, a powerful enough alternator on the car. Now, I hope there's some <laughs> I, I hope there's some gearheads are already guys out there. that are out there that will try this stuff, because I know it works. I mean, th- these guys send this stuff to us all the time. I mean, Ken, um, t- tell, tell the audience about Nemo. We have this thing we call Nemo, and anytime, anytime we come across a, uh, an alternative uh, energy device or something like that, we call it a Nemo alert. Well, I mean, you've got a list. Uh, so long now from all of these years and granted some of them may be you know uh, horse pooey but I mean some of these are legitimate and working models these guys are driving around in them it's outrageous yeah and uh, the people are driving around in these things and if, if some people will say well you can't do hydrogen because it takes too much energy to crack the hydrogen well guys are putting the, the catalyzer right on board their car you know so the water runs through the through the uh, whatever you've installed, and then it, be, it burns through your carburetor. And uh, if that is too esoteric for you or it seems too impossible, well, there are people running their cars on freaking French fry grease, you know? The infamous French fry cars are all over the place. I've seen them. They've got a French fry plant here. They take the grease out of McDonald's, and then they, uh, I don't know what they do to it, but they put it into a, a Volkswagen Jetta diesel, and off they go. It's called biodiesel. <laughs> That's right. That's right, yeah. So, you know, you can make biodiesel. In Hawaii, they're making it out of all kinds of agricultural uh, waste. There are biodiesel plants all over Hawaii. <laughs> San Diego, there are gas stations now. You can pull up and fuel up with unleaded or <clears throat> or hydrogen or biodiesel fuel. Now, there are people working on this. They actually set up service stations where you can fuel up your car. So, you can run a... A Jetta on vegetable oil. There's not much processing that has to be done. Right. Meanwhile, BP just shut down the pipeline, you know, up in Alaska. Yeah, in fact, in fact, um, I think we should mention your website again. The address is www.cyberspaceorbit.com. And, uh, you've right got, on the top of that. Right this. at the top there, you've got that note about the pipeline. It says BP shutting down large Alaska oil field. What's that all about? Well, they shut down the North Slope. That's like the big one. You better, I'd better not go too deeply in this except I smell a rat well, in this whole process. But I won't say why yet because I haven't got my ducks, <laughs> my rats in a row yet. I do have a cool picture there, though, of a bunch of yeah, those bears. brown bears, single file, walking across the top of the pipeline. Well, this is an actual photograph, and that says a lot right there. Right, they're actually on top of the pipeline walking. <laughs> I thought they were in between the two lines. No, they're right on top of it. That's amazing. But uh, there goes, what, 20% of our 
of our uh, domestic production. Domestic production. Yeah. But the thing is, maybe that there goes twenty percent. But ever since BP absorbed various other companies, like Amico, I believe. Yeah, BP Amico. They're they're one and the same. These then days. suddenly all the all of our oil from the North Slope, which had an export ban on it originally, was going off to China and Japan and so on, and then some of the refineries down south in California and so on were suddenly not getting uh, that big of a supply of oil from the Alaskan pipeline, but it, what was meant to be used for domestic purposes here in the United States suddenly was going away. <laughs> well, but I don't know how these international oil demons work. thing is, if you can't, if we can't afford fuel anymore, and it's getting tough, you know. And, I mean, it, it's it's over. It's not only getting tough and filling up your tank, but the prices are all going up. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, people. I love how they, you know, the government releases this this one economic indicator. They call the consumer price index, right? The CPI, and it's basically the level that, or, or the the uh, the way they measure inflation, right? Mm -hmm. But interestingly, they don't include the costs of energy or food in their computation. <laughs> you know, I mean, what else is there? It takes energy or food to do anything. So, yeah, I mean, the cost of oil goes up, then it, everything goes up because you have to move it from one place to another, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'll tell you one thing, though. It's going to end the whole uh, cheap Chinese uh, crapola goods coming across the, the, the ocean for nothing because it's a lot of fuel to chug those things across uh, the Pacific, you know? I think the technology is available where we have to take matters into our own hands, I and in fact, right. can. It, it, I think we can convert our rattlecraft, our jalopies at home. I really do. I think it's there. Uh, yeah, I think there are and a lot I think of we can grow good. our own fuel. I think we can do that. What we need are a few good tech heads that can do it themselves, and then we'll just start to do it for other people. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that I'm just not... Uh, mechanically adept, you know. I can't, I can't take an engine apart and put it back together. I can't. I mean, maybe I could, and maybe I'm limiting myself. But the point is, there are some people that are good at it, and there are others that really have more difficulty, right? Mm -hmm. So if we could get some people that have got good at it, could show others, uh, and then start doing it for other people, yeah, we just all start doing. Like you say, you just, you don't even, you don't even worry about what's happening. You just forward escape. I think we got to do that. Uh, Henry Ford kind of set us up to be able to do that in his original ideas. Yeah, engine, you know, that was designed to run on Kickapoo Joy Juice as well as petroleum. And uh, yeah, it would run on anything. You know, you you gave me the best advice a couple of years ago when I bought my little farm to buy a, an old Ford tractor. That'll run on anything. My Ford <laughs> 8 n You're damn right. That thing, I could put tequila in that thing. It'll run. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't waste my tequila unless I really had to, you know, do something serious with my tractor. <laughs> but, but, but you're right, it'll burn anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm an old coot and I'm sitting here. You said something a minute ago that triggered a memory. Yeah, well, you do about that. About how we need to get specialists to kind of move in and work with us to get this stuff happening. Right, just to show people that it's possible. I mean, I mean, imagine a couple of videos. I mean, just amateur videos that show that it's done, it can be done, this is how you do it. Simple, one, two, three, here's my car, I did it, bam, drove away, goodbye. Right, we put that up on YouTube, we put it up on my site, your site, 
we show people, well, you can say whatever you want, but there's the guy driving away. You know, try it yourself or talk to him. He'll teach you how to do it for free. No money. I got a tail for you, so I do it now, or do you need a break? Let's take a break, all right? We've been okay, chatting. Then I'll get it. Hang on, then. I got a tail. I love tails. Give, give us a teaser so we don't lose our thread. Well, uh, you ever heard of Calamity Jane? Sure, but I don't know much about her. I knew her, but her name wasn't Calamity Jane, but it was the uh, reincarnation of Calamity Jane. <laughs> she solved my she solved my mechanical problems one time, but there's a story behind that, and uh, I'm inclined to tell it, even though it's highly improbable. However, totally. All right, well, let's do it. We'll come back and uh, we'll continue our uh, campfire conversation with Kent Stedman. He'll tell us a little about his own Calamity Jane. And in the meantime, Kent, we'll listen to a little more Kenny Hall, all right? Yeah, I'm going to go get uh, me some coffee. Yeah. Well, so I'll be one. These, are, these are pretty short songs. I'll play a couple of them here. I think we'll play I Took My Gal Walking and Shanty right. and Old Shantytown. I love that one. So, oh, Kenny. Yeah, we'll play these two, and we'll be back with Kent Stedman in just a moment. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Thanks to everybody listening on the web and locally and regionally here. Uh, KOPN is available on the web always at KOPN.org. And you can always find information about me and my guests at www.MikeHagan.com. And thanks to the people at CosmicWavesRadio.com for giving us a live stream every Monday night, which I think is up and functioning well now. So anyway, back in just a minute with Kent Stedman and uh, a little bit more from Kenny Hall and this wonderful music from... The Skiffle Symphony. Back in just a minute, it's Mike to listen to Radio Orbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Symphony, and I got one of his protégés on the line with me here tonight. His name is Kent Stedman. He's my good friend, and he's coming to you live tonight from Seattle, by the way, the cave, as we like to call it, and it's been too long since I've been there, but he's still there, and he's got a whole uh, gang of his own, and we're going to get right back to him now, Kent Stedman. Howdy. Hey, buddy. Thanks. Now, what were we talking about? I had a thought. Yeah, well, you had a thought about... Calamity Jane. That's right, Calamity Jane. Well, uh, Mike mentioned, what was it you mentioned, that we need to get some people that are skilled at this mechanical stuff. 
Yeah, to be able to convert these things so that people... You know, the whole deal is that it's, if the stuff is happening and it really is real, well, then people that are doing it should just be able to show people and say, well, here's mine. You know, it doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't matter what your religion is. If somebody just says, well, you know, uh, do you want to pay $4 a gallon for gas or do you just want me to make your car do this because I just put water in mine? And then... You know, he just drives off. You're going to go, well, okay, yeah, I'd like probably to have that done to my car, too, <laughs> you know? I think biodiesel is probably the quickest way for everybody to do this, but I wouldn't... I yeah, wouldn't water might be more expensive than gas pretty soon, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, you know, back in the 50s, we used to make hydrogen, and we'd get a 12-volt volt battery, one of those tall-looking suckers back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hook it... We'd, Hook it to what did we hook it to? A pencil or something like that. The electrodes were pencils. Well, you got graphite and pencil. Yeah. yeah, and they were in, in water, and we'd add a little bit of salt to the water. And right, the, right, right. And hydrogen bubble off. In fact, uh, there are a couple of uh, black spots on the ceiling <laughs> where the hydrogen interfaced with the Bunsen burner <laughs> sent up a small uh, mushroom cloud. We were doing them back then, so what's a big freaking deal, you know? <clears throat> uh, you can make hydrogen. Well, anyway, I was thinking about how we need help. Uh, I was uh, living in my little yuppie house in Fresno, California, teaching college back in the 70s, and suddenly I wanted a more, I wanted a more remote look. Uh-oh, my cell phone is ringing. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you need to get it? We'll take a break. <laughs> Hang on. All right, well... That's Wendy's cell phone. Oh, well, if it's Wendy's, who knows what that means. It's probably a crisis with one of the children. All right, so let me tell you guys what's happening. Kent has a whole crew, like I said. He's got two daughters, a wife, a son. One of his daughters just had a baby. The baby's uh, a little boy whose name is Quentin, and Quentin spends a lot of his days with Kent. And I have a feeling that when the cell phone rings like this at... Mm, 10.45 uh, in the evening. It probably has something to do with little Quentin. So, anyway, we'll let Kent take care of some business, and we will play another song here by our good friends from the Sweets Mill String Band. And this is Three Leaves. Hello. Oh, hey. <laughs> I was going to take a break and play another song by Kenny, but if you're back, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll continue. Yeah, this is not a... Uh I figured it had something to do with Quentin. This is not a professional studio here, folks. That was my wife's cell phone that was down on the couch. It took me a minute to find it. <laughs> All right, well, crisis averted, so. Anyway, I was living in Fresno. Suddenly, Fresno got too big for me. Fresno. <laughs> and so I sold my, my yuppie trappings in Fresno, a nice little French house with <laughs> glass French windows and a sports car and all that, and my Jeep. And I moved out to an old Oakey, run-down Oakey farm out uh, east of me in Sanger, California, where I wanted to work on work in my garden and think and do some paintings and play some music. Well, the thing is, it wasn't all that quiet because half, half the artists and poets and musicians moved out with me and put up teepees and old camper trailers and... Yeah, it turned into a whole camp. Out there. <laughs> yeah, so there it ended up with about thirty really creative people living out there. Oh, and the old stories and 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 photos of that of that place are just magical. 
Well, anyway, one time, things would, weird things would happen out there. This is the 70s, folks, sort of the twilight zone after the 60s. And uh, uh, we were living communally, but for some reason, one weekend, everybody went for a camping trip up in the... They went on a road trip up up in the, some hot springs up in the Sierras, and I was sitting there alone, sipping some coffee early in the morning. I heard a knock on my back door. Mm-hmm. And I opened the door and I about had a heart attack because standing there, no kidding, was a uh, was a Native American individual dressed in a breech cloth, holding a rattle in one hand and a snakeskin in the other. And that and that was was that Wild Bill? His name? Well, I don't know. Should I be naming people's names? Over sure. Here? Why not? His name was Toshka. Toshka, if you're out there, give me a call. Yeah, man, Toshka, get a hold of us. Orbitradio at AOL.com or Bardsquill at AOL.com. Toshka, if you're still kicking, let me know. He's, Toshka is a, sort of a yaki elder. He was a curandero, they call him. Oh, I know, and I remember. You, know, you finished this story, Kent. Well, anyway, he didn't say much, except just stood there, and I was going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, of course, that, you know, the, the, uh, those are those are colorful days. It wasn't all that. Well, it wasn't that strange. You had people showing up all the time. So, so he was very quiet, and he came in, and I asked, offered him some coffee, and he indicated no. And I said, well, but he said something to you about about he why, said, why he was there. I, yeah, I said he finally said I asked him if I could help him. Why he was there, and he says somebody here needs me. Somebody here needs me. Yeah, he is a curandero. He healed people. Yeah, Kirandero is a shaman, basically. Yeah, he's a shaman. Yeah. Tall and lean and sort of looked like a lean version of Conan the Barbarian. He was really striking. Long black hair, piercing eyes, uh, dressed in a loincloth and holding a... A rattle. A rattle and a snakeskin. And Well, anyway, time went by, and I was trying to make polite conversation, but I didn't know quite what to say, you know. Kent, when... Because he wasn't saying much. Well, but give me a time frame. This was in the 80s? Oh, no, it's 70s. 70s, okay. Mid-70s. Yeah. All the good stuff for me happened in the mid-70s. <laughs> All the good stuff. So I always say, uh, Hey, you got good stuff going on right now, my friend. Anyway, we sat there and sat there. An hour went by, and I just sort of went around and cleaned up after the former nights of festive. We played a lot of Kenny's music. Kenny was out there a lot. Uh, something going on all the time, and we wouldn't... You know, campfires at night, and yeah, always people playing and teaching and learning music, and and in the summertime I had the summers off, and so a lot of stuff was going on all the time. It was more an experiment in lifestyle, you know. Right. But at this time I was the only one there, and uh, the, the rest had gone off uh, up into the Sierras, and uh, I sat there and sat there, and suddenly I heard a bang on the front door, and here was another thing that almost gave me a heart attack. Standing there was a young woman. In her twenties, and well, she looked pretty bad because she had just dumped her motorcycle, uh, a Harley, <laughs> <laughs> and out there in Kings Canyon Road, about a mile away from where I lived. I don't know how she knew where I lived, but she did. Yeah, your place wasn't like right there. I mean, no, it was like around the corner, up away, and she came down my driveway on foot. She dumped, had dumped her bike down there, still laying down there. And she says, she says, howdy, Kent. She says, I could use a little help here. <laughs> because she, she had lost a lot of her hide along the right side of her face. 
nothing serious, but it looked painful to me. And uh, she was really skinned up bad, nothing broken. And Tosta spins around and says, that's her. And so, then... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. So, so, so the, apparently the person that he said he was there to help... Hadn't arrived. Hadn't yet. arrived yet. Yeah. And this is her now. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. What happens then? Well, it turns out I didn't recognize her at first, but when I first went into uh, Fresno to do my teaching, I was a different sort of a, a guy, you know. I was teaching right. Sunday school and <laughs> coaching the uh, softball team, and, and uh, I was a scout leader, and she was one of the kids in my Sunday school class. Right. Teenage kids. I hadn't seen her for years. You know, a lot had gone under the bridge since then. My lifestyle had changed dramatically, trust me. And there she was, and I called her Calamity Jane, but her name was Lynn. And uh, so Costa helped her, put her back together. He stayed with her constantly, you know, for a couple of weeks. Stayed at the farm. The other people came back, and we all just sort of hung out together. And uh, he applied various herbs and balms and things like that. She came out of the whole ordeal, you know, perfect. Really pieced back together again. Well, she stayed on, and she's a Fresno country gal. And one of my great weaknesses at the farm at that moment was that I was an artist, you know, but that didn't mean I had any great knowledge of running a farm with all the implements, equipment, and all the procedures that it took to uh, keep 10 acres of old peach orchards going. <laughs> right. She said, I can handle all this, so she did it all. She took care of the mechanics, she fixed the tractor, she fixed all the cars, she kept everything run. No way. Yeah. Huh. And uh, she converted a lot of the peaches to peach brandy. Ingo. <laughs> See, if we'd have known better back then, why, we'd been running the tractor on that. Right, right, right. There you go. But then, back then, gas was cheap. But she's the kind of a person in a in a collective situation that that we were just talking about that can do stuff like right, that. Right, right. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned um, collective situation, and... I have to tell you, um, well, let's see, we're, we're, we're close to the top of the hour. Maybe we can talk about this a little bit after the top of the hour, but, you know, it's sketchy out there, Pardo, right now. I know. And, uh... Why I, do you think I'm in a cave? Yeah, I know, I know. And, and there's a lot of, there's a, you know, there's a lot of ill will, there's a lot going on, but there's also, let me put it this way, I, I go to this little place, I mention it on the air once in a while, it's called the Blue Fugue, and I go there on Monday nights before I come to do the show, right? And they have an uh, open mic night on Mondays, like like many places around the U.S. do for musicians who are traveling and want want to play uh, without uh, a scheduled gig or whatever. You get 20, 30 minutes or something like that. Anyway, the the Fugue does open mic night, and I always go down there and have a couple beers before the show, and I get to listen to some music. You never know who's going to show up, you know. And it's it's great. Um, and I enjoy the people that uh, that run the place and and that work down there. So anyway, tonight I'm sitting at the bar, and uh, this. This couple walks in, real big guy, uh, with a beautiful girl on his arm, and they come sit at the bar right next to me. And I know they're, I, I, you know, I go there every Monday. I've never seen them before, and you know, it's sort of a regular crowd. And you know who's new and who's not, you know. So, I sort of strike up a conversation. Blah blah blah. Hello. We listen to the music. Turns out this guy, they are there. It's uh, on a special occasion. They don't come downtown often, and it's because this guy's going to a rock on Monday, right? His name's George, and he's a uh, a medic 
and his girlfriend or his wife, I forget if they were married or, or if they were just, uh, you know, partners or whatever, at, at any rate, she was res National Guard Reserves, and he's National Guard, regular National Guard, right? And anyway, we had a real interesting conversation, and, you know, he's in direct contact with many of his friends and, you know, compadres that are over there doing whatever they're doing. And, I mean, you should have heard what this guy had to say. <laughs> no, but You know? So, anyway... I had, I've always had good luck as far as friends, acquaintances, and brother and sister collectivists, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. with the mus musicians. Yeah. I've never been burned by them. Oh, something about, about people that do art, they're, they're sort of fulfilled by that, and they really don't have a whole lot of reason in many cases to, you know, to... to, to to do that other sort of stuff but I don't know either way it seems like they're in the in in the future you know at least at least one of the many potential futures involves a scenario in which we do have to get back to basics like that and we do need to you know uh, find common cause and then find people kindred spirits that are good at this and good at that you know well it's a matter of uh, taking a risk you know, because when you do uh, an experiment, like living with a bunch of people out on an old run-down farm, you know, nobody really knows what to do to start with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you just say, well, many campfires, you know, many campfires, let's just do it and see what happens. Right. And uh, it's darn interesting, darn interesting. It isn't always smooth. Mm. What is? But it's really really interesting and if you can back off a little bit philosophically and watch it all happen it's amazing hmm. it's amazing it's an art form in itself it's life you know right. along with people right. so I lived in kind of an art colony for a long 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 time but it it went its ways and spent its course you know what's what's your sense of that in, in today's context well it's actually Happening, from what I see, even here in Seattle, people are not able to afford to go out and buy a million-dollar house. Uh, here, it's expensive. I mean, a, a little three-bedroom fixer-upper is three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and so, what are they doing? Well, they go in together. So, uh, you have a lot of people splitting the rent up here. So the tribal thing is still alive and well. It may, may not be as spectacular as we once saw, saw it in the 60s and 70s, but it's certainly here. And in a way, it's more interesting than being all alone. There's one thing about wanting to be a rugged individualist. Well, that happens at the spiritual level. But uh, in the practical level, you know, it involves other people. And it's more interesting with other people. <laughs> More interest doesn't always work. I've had someone close to me that's moved four times in a year <laughs> to find the right comfortable setting. But uh, that's what people are doing here in the city, in the metropolis. And uh, I see it as uh, stimulating, interesting, powerful experiences. In my own family, we all had felt ourselves coming closer and closer and closer together. Yeah, we, because we, the perimeters are are getting pretty fuzzy right now. Huh. You know, um, actually, we're, we're talking about, let, let me do a quick ID here. 
You're listening to KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. My name is Mike Hagan, and the, the program you're listening to is Radio Orbit. My guest is Kent Stedman. You can find him on the web at www.cyberspaceorbit.com or directly through my site at any given moment at www.mikehagan.com. Well, yeah, Kent, when, uh, a few minutes ago when, when you were uh, trying to wrestle down your cell phone, I was talking about your family there and about how you've got two girls and uh, a baby grandson and Wendy and Brian and you got the whole gang there and you, you are a, tart, uh, a tight crew and there's a whole lot um, going on right in your, just in the cave right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then all our, the friends of everybody's friends. Right, and the grandparents and all that, all of whom are welcome at your place, I know. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, we help each other out. I help one of my daughters with a wedding she had to do for a friend last weekend. Just today, my my water pump broke in Wendy's car, and uh, my grandson's other set of grandparents came over there with flashlights, you know, probing around, figuring out what to do next. That's why, you know, that's interesting. It's fun. To, it's fun, too. We're trained to be rugged individuals, and at one level, that's true. Hmm. That's true. We are in, I mean, we have to face the cosmos in some respects alone. But on the other, in another dimension, the dimension of put your feet on the sidewalk and walking through life, you know, the, the more, most interesting way to go about that in my book is tribal. Hmm. The tribal consciousness. Because people are interesting. People are interesting. Breaks, oh, up, yeah. the, breaks up the freaking monotony. Oh, and yeah, you have bizarre personalities and clashes and all that, but that's funny. If you can back off and look at it a little bit, it's interesting and funny. And it usually, when things get tangled up, uh, more often than not, we'll rare back laughing, you know, <laughs> when we can see ourselves from a distance. But that's been my my route for a long time. I'm getting old, and I have a tendency not to gad about as much as I used to. And so, but it's still there, yeah. Hail, hail, the gang's all here. <laughs> hey, uh, I found another piece by Hans. <laughs> well, okay. Um, let, it's called Old Time Radio. How's that for a point? That's good. Let's, uh, let, let me do a quick backup, okay? Uh, okay. Th- we, we lost the stream just a, a little while ago, and for the people out there who are listening, we, Kent and I have an old uh, teacher, friend, uh, uh, wise man uh, whose name was Hans Russell and Kent uh, Hans Heinrich Russell Hans Heinrich Russell yeah and for a long time Kent had lots of material from Hans that was posted at Orbit on his site and over the years with attacks similar to what happened to us this weekend uh, some of that material was lost but some of it is now being recovered and we talked a little bit about Hans and this funky experiment that he did uh, uh and, and gives specific instructions on how to make a fly disappear out of thin air. Uh, we talked about that during the first hour there, but um, Kent, maybe you can... Think of the implications of that. <laughs> well, I know, I mean, and I think of the movie The Fly, and if there wasn't yeah. something going on there, you know what I mean? That there was, you know, there's always these little hints that are, uh, uh, whether, the, whether they're done on purpose or whether it's just, you know, some Jungian synchronicity that that, that, that seemed to... You know, to show peaks behind the curtain sometimes. 
So anyway, a little bit more about Hans, maybe. This piece by Hans, and he has a great way of putting things. I mean, the guy is a, a, an electromagnetic wizard, you know, a wizard of the electro, the EM craft, the manipulation of electricity, the electron, the element, the L. <laughs> you yes, know? yes. That 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 substance that we talk about and use a lot, but we don't really know what the heck it is. Now, this is called Old Time Radio. He says, remember the good old days before you were even born? Well, now you can. Here's how I did it together with my joy, my common-law wife back in 1950-something or other. I was startled to hear her scream in the bathroom. Uh-oh. <laughs> she came dashing out, white as a clean bed sheet. I tried to get control over myself and the situation by asking her if she had seen a ghost. She was speechless for a moment, nodding and shaking her head also. I expected the worst and felt psychic shivers running all over my torso. <laughs> when she could speak, she told me that there was an alien, in particular a gray, in the bathtub. Great. I was I just about now I gotta I gotta scroll here. Scroll scrolling. I just about had my myocardial infraction or a cerebrovascular accident, not to mention the need for the toilet, which was in the same room as the alien. I decided that she must be yanking my chain and wanted her to show me, but no way was she going into that bathroom first. I went and saw what she was talking about. I had earlier washed a pinto radiator in the bathtub. <laughs> there was a lot of mud and other forms of dirt. What do you say? He had washed a radiator? A pinto radiator in the bathtub. <laughs> and there was a lot of mud and other forms of dirt. This gets better. The water had drained away very slowly past the stopper, and there was a perfect image of a gray left behind. Of course, made of mud. But I'll never forget the shock I felt when I saw that. There was the body, the eyes, the arms, the legs, the whole shebang. No sex organs. It, <laughs> it really happened. And if I had been more publicly oriented, I would have photographed the image. I quickly explained to her what it was, but she wouldn't go in there until he was gone. So I wiped him off. Well, I wiped him out off and down the drain. This led us to discussing at length about the unknown, and I was inspired to find out if perhaps synchronicity dictated a chance for an encounter. <laughs> hmm. right. Here it goes. Right. So I grabbed an old 8-track stereo player and ripped the amplifier out. And again, Hans was this electromagnetic wizard. <laughs> yeah, and he makes stuff out of old parts. Oh, my God. He could take... Uh, all right, anyway, continue. So here he is. He grabbed an old 8-track stereo player and ripped the amplifier out. <laughs> I grabbed some shielded microphone cable and a field coil from an old-fashioned electromagnetic loudspeaker. Where the tape head had been attached, I attached the microphone cable, the other end of which had the field coil on it. Now, that gets a little bit out of my depth, but see, we're putting this down here so other wizards like Hans can do this. Yeah, they can figure it out and do it. Went for a couple of cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> and then since it was getting dark, we went up the Highway 33 towards Big White, the famous ski hill, just where the turnoff of the resort left the highway, there was another turnoff on the wettish side. We took that one and went about a mile along until I could make out a field which had been cleared of trees. We parked near but not in the field amongst some small trees and bushes. 
We were driving in Austin, America, or an 1100, I think it was. Lights out, and I ran the coil out a ways into the field, and we sat snugly in the car listening to the amplifier. So what is this? This is my comment. A microphone? <laughs> He's got a coil. Stretch it out into a field. That's what Yeah. Right. All so, kinds of sounds are coming in. Sounds of static. Sounds of machinery. And voices. <laughs> After a while, Joy let out a guarded gasp when her door opened by itself. <laughs> Outside the car was an alien, tall and skinny, but like a gray. The shock I experienced must have driven him off. We could see him disappear into a nearby bush. Holy feces, he says. <laughs> well, I locked all the doors and calmed down my sweetie. We talked and found things were changing. Suddenly at first, we could hear bars of light alternated with bars of darker. Then the dark were in begin to move in front of our eyes from right to left. The, the language gets strange here. Oh, my God. The yeah. bars were vertical and the light ones were the same width as the dark ones. I looked around and saw the trees were surrounded by the cylinder of alternating bars. It had a thickness. It extended to about six feet beyond the vehicle. It was inside as well. The bars were moving from right, right to left and left to right and both ways at once, if you could believe it. <laughs> like two or more sets of cylinders at the same time, we just sat and watched until the bars gradually went away. Meanwhile, the amplifier had been deadly silent and now started up again. We just waded through the experience. It was then about 2.30 in the morning, a pleasant summer night. The stars were visible, and a faint hit of the approaching dawn entered the vista. More and more voices could be heard all at once, <laughs> and music. As time went on, the announcers individualized, and so did the tunes. It was as if radio stations were taking turns being on our frequency. It seemed as though the rotation of the earth had something to do with the selection of the stations. I can hear old-fashioned music and ways of speaking predominantly, interpreted with rare bits of more modern stuff. She said she heard an announcer say that it was sometime in the late 40s. <laughs> I could believe that. No, he says, I could believe that. No problem. It was a night to remember. Hans Russell. <laughs> yeah, Hans was something else, man. And he had, you know... People will think that we're crazy, you know, but Hans had made it. He had all these weird experiences, but he also was a super genius with with electromagnetism. He could he could take take a Tesla coil and put it together with a you know a Marshall head <laughs> and turn it into like a spacecraft or something. You know, he's got another piece here. I don't read. It's another long piece where he used a slinky. Well, I mean, it's another... He wired problem. up a slinky to make it... You know, we should talk to Marco Roden about that. I, 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 would, <laughs> I, I would love it if Marco Roden were listening to this conversation. Maybe somebody can make a clip and, uh, and, and email it to him or something. But anyway, Bardo, let's, let's take a break here. My friend Will just showed up and he brought me a beer. So I'm going to... Picking up signals. That's where we're going to pick up right, when we'll, we get we'll, back. We'll pick up signals there's in just some, a minute. I'm going to pick up my 12-ounce beer. There's and, stuff going on in the <laughs> Mideast that might inspire some signals. Well, I think we should talk about that a little bit, too, because, because I'm getting notes from people that say, hey, what's this guy talking about? His website is all about war and destruction. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just chronicling. I just want, I'm just calmly chronicling. I think something's happening. I think something's happening, too. Well, something's obviously ha happening. It's just a matter of who knows what. So anyway, all right, well, uh, stick around. We'll be back in just a minute. Okay, we'll listen to a couple more from Kenny, and uh, we'll come back and talk, all right? 
Okay. All right, it's Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. My guest is Kent Stedman. You can find him on the web at cyberspaceorbit.com. He's an amazing artist and a writer and a chronicler of history. And we're going to hear some of his old band here. This is Kenny Hall and the Sweets Mill String Band. We'll hear Old Mother Flanagan and Wearing of the Green. Check it out. It's Mike. Listen to Radio Orbit. We got Kent. We'll be back in just a minute. Old Mother Flanagan. Let's go, boys. <laughs> Thank you. 
your official Chuck Norris moment. The original theme song of the Transformers was actually Chuck Norris, More Than Meets the Eye. Chuck Norris, Robot in Disguise. It starred Chuck Norris as a Texas Ranger who defended the Earth from drug-dealing Decepticons and could turn into a pickup. The producers decided this was far too awesome for a single show, however, so it was divided. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Hi, this is Jay Widener, and you're listening to the Alchemical Airwaves of Radio Orbit on KOPN, Columbia, 89.5 FM. Hi, this is Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Chuck Norris once roundhouse kicked someone so hard that his foot broke the speed of light, went back in time, and kicked a raptor in the face. This changed history in ways that the human mind cannot even fathom. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. <laughs> All right. All right, a couple of official Chuck Norris moments from my friend Tony Friedman and um, a little promo from my friend Jay Widener, who will be back in the program in the next few weeks, hopefully, and we'll talk about his documentary called 2012 the odyssey amazing stuff and anyway uh we're back and we'll switch gears actually it's not a switch at all back to kent steadman we can do anything we want with him on the air so hey bartle jack norris huh oh yeah these guys here at the station they're 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 a riot and they make the they, they keep recording they have about a hundred of these different things now they call them chuck norris moments and they all have they're, they're just these fictional Stories that they make up about Chuck Norris, but they're just very funny. <laughs> anyway, well, human beings are tough critters. I mean, we've been around for a while. And we are warriors in many respects, and uh, whether we're spiritual warriors or, or 
physical warriors of the mind and the spirit or, or have our feet planted on the ground. I've never been to war. Yeah, but you've had some fights. I've there. never hurt anybody that bad. That bad? Physically. I've been hurt. <clears throat> but, I, you know, I've uh, flirted with most of the Ten Commandments. had a di difficult time with a lot of them. But one thing I've never done is ever hurt anybody very seriously, you know. Either in terms of my own plight or the, gov or the government that I live in. I've never done that. You were never in the military. Mm -hmm. I was four F. Ah, disability. Where my head was at when I was nineteen year old, nineteen years old, and uh, you know, noticeably stupid, I would have probably gone to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But I was born in, you know, disabled, and so I didn't go. So I found myself uh, on the flip side of the coin. Even though I had very conservative values at one time, and you know, I moved from. Utah to Fresno, six, you know, they're going to Mars. What? My 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 understanding of things just went through incredible transformation. Yeah, for people who aren't familiar with Ken's background, he was a young kid who grew up as a Mormon in Utah. Yeah, and then went to Fresno. Went to Fresno and became a hippie. Well, you know, I've experimented with a lot of different things from from hippie tie, hey, cowpoke, and you thought to a biker, to hippie, you know, trying different things, trying different things. To a spiritual person, to hitting bottom and being in the dark night of the soul, you know, tried a lot of different things because I'm curious, curious. One thing, I, one of the people say, well, why are you recording all this war stuff? Because there's a kind of alchemy going over there. And this is the second time I've been caught up in this uh, well, yeah. sort of grisly task, which I consider important for some reason. I'm not even sure why. Right, well, but to record the events. The last time I did this was around, during, and following a year after 9-11. I know. I know. A voice said, well, you better put this down because you can bet for sure that as the weeks and months go by, it's going to get all tangled up and jumbled up and just be a bunch of smoke signals and echoes and nobody's going to know what the hell went on. And I feel that way now. I'm recording the Mideast conflict because I feel it's a, an archetypal sort of confrontation going on over there. And I'm trying to figure out why, you know. And I, I keep changing my opinion as to why. And the reason I'm doing this is because, I, you know, I'm a creative person, basically. And I believe in the exploration of spiritual things. But at the same time, I can see... That if I don't keep my feet on the ground, I can get taken out, but in a way, by doing that, you know. And I've seen whole cultures get taken out, uh, as far as affecting this in Earth event and in, in their care for the Earth, and get taken out. Uh, for instance, during World War II, a whole bunch of uh, in, young individuals were very concerned about over-industrialization, sort of the ruination of the Earth mm. during the Industrial Revolution, and they were very. What, they raised their voices about it. One of the most enlightened places on earth in terms of this confrontation was in a place called Berlin. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody thought, well, you know, this is a place of enlightenment in Berlin. Great universities, great thinkers, you know, exchange of ideas. Mm -hmm. But what happened after a while is the young people got tired of it, kind of. And, you know, when you're battling chaotic forces they're, they're clever chaotic forces and they can get you 
take good intentions and sort of whisk you away. And they got whisked away. They finally said, well, we're going into to the self-realization movement and to explore our minds and our spiritual potential. And so they went up in kind of the Alps singing folk songs, you know, and they were called the Wander Bogo, and they were uh, the beatniks of the time. Yeah, you know? mean, meanwhile... And for instance, Carraway, Jack Carraway, was mm-hmm. called the American Wonder Bogle. He's a beatnik you know, mm-hmm. on the road and all that. And uh, meanwhile, you heard these voices going, hey, 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 it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because the whole generation is up strumming their banjos up in the Alps, you know. And that, so they round up the boys and they go take over downtown Berlin. You start hearing a lot of jackboot sounds. And they didn't have any resistance. So. I've gone through lots of events in my life, and there are times I haven't washed my butt, you know. And, and not only my butt, but the Earth's butt, hmm. you know, my Earth. We're multidimensional. There's no doubt about it. We live in different universes. And any given 24-hour cycle, will, is, if you can really look and watch what's going on for going through your wake-up world to your dream world and then back again, looping back and forth, going from the world of meditation and thought to the world of physical reality. You know, we're multi-dimensional. It's like a pendulum swinging back and forth and back and forth. Mm. We, sort of, we sort of come in and out of, <laughs> out of 3D manifestation all the time. And yeah, even when we're awake, I mean, it's, I mean, very few people spend their entire awake time awake. It's a lot of it is just sort of off, dancing around in the, you know, whatever's happening in the backs of the mind. Yeah, and I'm very interested in exploring, you might say, the cosmos and the ethers. And uh, but yet, uh, I feel a tremendous responsibility because I'm on Earth to uh, watch out there too, watch my behind. And when something like this is happening, I have a tendency to want to chronicle it, at least until I can figure it out. So I've got a couple of pay- every headline that's come out of the Middle East conflict since the two guys were soldiers were taken, you know, by. The Hezbollah guys. Yeah. Right, right. I've been watching and watching. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I keep changing my mind. At one point, you think, well, it's just old enmity, you know, old tribal values clashing. And then, and then you look at it again, and it looks, nah, there's some sort of pipeline going through there. Gas pipeline. That might be oil. You know, <laughs> We always blame it on oil. Because right. the oil flickers are such grotesque people. Sometimes it's easy to blame those guys. <laughs> right. It's such a band of orcs, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, th- and then I thought, no, I began to come across a lot of commentary, commentary uh, that dates back several years that predicted this kind of conflict to take place over water. Over water, yeah, yeah, that is a big part of it. There's a huge section that you've devoted to the whole water wars deal, and boy, that stuff is pretty interesting. And that does. Possibility. In fact, there's a blend of various things going on. Yeah, I think that's probably m- m- the most likely. I mean, there's a whole lot of different agendas playing out at the same time. I'll tell you the one that, that gets me the most interested, and it's probably the most esoteric of them, is this place, Baalbek. That's what I was going to say. Well, there is something going on there. Bingo. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, Baalbek is, is, you know, is old school mystic. Uh, talk about spiritual stuff. This is the old school there. Yeah, Way really, long. really fascinates. Me. Yeah, really fascinates me. And, and the same thing happened in Iraq. You know, we went into Iraq using whatever sorry lame excuse we were using to go into Iraq. But what happened? And as soon as we got there, 
You know, the the ancient archives, the antiquities were looted mm-hmm. immediately. That's true. All the, and if you all dig in that, things. yeah, if you dig into that deep enough, there were people that that was handled by professionals, mm-hmm. and they used the war to do that. And they used the, the war to do that in such a convenient manner. It's almost as if they were kind of stimulating the, the conflict there in order to do that. Because Saddam had under his control a history of the world that, and maybe even more than that, uh, tied to the ancient world where they were doing stupendous and magnificent things. Yeah, in the, the prehistorical world. The prehistorical world. I mean, you look at the ancient ziggurats in the Iraq. Right, right, right. freaking amazing. Yeah, and this thing about Baalbek, um, we'll, make, we'll make the point with that, is that for, for those of you who aren't familiar with the archaeological evidence that's, that's been uncovered there, there are, and, and I spoke with Christopher Dunn last week, uh, oh, good what he say? Oh well, he's uh, outrageous, you know. But he, his primary interest is, is Egypt. But the stones at Baalbek dwarf anything on the Giza plateau. And uh, he, uh, again, you know, he basically just says, "Well, yeah, you know, no doubt, nobody has any idea." First of all, how you could even uh, a quarry uh, a limestone rock that's that's uh, two thousand tons. The biggest one, the, the biggest one that they've got in in Giza, is about 400 tons. This is, they've they've, they've got a whole boatload of them that are between 1,500 and 2,000 tons. They have no idea how they could ever move them. Our, our largest cranes that have ever been devised could never move a stone that big. And the and the interesting thing is that the the, the Roman, uh, the Roman ruins are built on top of this stuff. So this is older. All this stuff goes back long before. The Roman Empire even came across the place, but it was a, a Baalbek. This particular geographical location has been a sacred site for l- long before, uh, long before our records start talking about it. And whoever was there, they were able to do, you know, stonework that is unrivaled, at least in its uh, in its magnitude to this day. It's the lo- they are the largest worked stones on the planet. Period. And there's no debate about that. So you chronicle, right, you chronicle, and you do your best to try to sort these things out, but eventually I think I'm at the point now where I want to springboard off it and, 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 and suggest the possibility, the hunch, it's a hunch, the intuitive flash that they're after something other than water and oil. They're after the ancient knowledge. As you see, because Baalbek is like the belly button of all this in the Middle East. It's probably the oldest, the most spectacular. I mean, it's several levels of civilization, including a Roman temple of Jupiter on top. Right. But uh, underneath the temple of Jupiter is a platform of immense megalithic stones, mm-hmm. well-dressed stones. What's under those stones? What, what are they covering? And then you have to then you have to be open enough and illogical enough in it to start examining the myth. And you run I'm running into all kinds of myths, they're all premature, you know, I'm afraid to even toss them out, but but I'm getting hits such as the Eve is there. <laughs> yeah, the, I, the Anunnaki goddess that I must have read that. transformed life on Earth. Yeah, I, I must have read that at your site or from your site that, that that was possibly the burial place of Eve. Well, it could have been, quote, unquote, 
an Anunnaki base where mm-hmm. DNA experiments took place. If you regard it in terms of Zachariah Sitchin and other people like this. The, the, well, the mythology... The point, one of the things that Chris Dunn said last week that stuck with me, and it, and it, it applies to all of these ancient megalithic sites that we're not really sure what, what was happening. He said, well, the one thing that you, ha- that, that you have to, he said, no matter who you are, the one thing that you have to concede is that the level of sophistication of the product can be no less sophisticated than the tool used to produce it. So... We're seeing things that defy the, the, the conventional explanation. And the, the simple deal is this, is that linear history, the idea that we are, you know, you know that we used to be stupid and now we're smart, <laughs> it just it doesn't fly. It turns out that history is probably more cyclical and there have been times of great achievement and then dark ages and this sort of thing. And then, and then back up and then back down. And I'm not sure if we're on the top of the hill or the bottom of one right now, to be honest. Uh, but maybe that'll become apparent soon or soon enough. Hopefully, because it seems like we're certainly in a place that, that needs to change because you know, you know me and the way we talk. Uh, technology is the thing that I get so nervous about. And obviously, there was a technology at work back then. Whether we can define it or not, something was at work and it's some sort of technology. You know, Chris Dunn talks about one-eighth of an inch inside radius on granite boxes. An eighth of an inch inside radius. Now, in order to do that, you have to have very sophisticated tooling. We, he says it's difficult for us to do today. And they got loads of them like that. So you, you got to realize, see, we're ethnocentrists. Yeah, we're, anthro- we're, we're born and raised in a certain sure. culture, and we tend to evaluate everybody else. And there's a part of our brain that wants to push everybody else away. There's a psychological study in that how that which is surprising or unfamiliar or mysterious to us, we tend to to make the enemy. We make it an enemy, you know, because we don't understand it. And then, oh, that whole culture over there, to the American mind, could we could very mistakenly turn them all into the enemy, you know, whether they're Israeli or Arab or Muslim or Jew, because we don't understand them. And we got to realize that they're so ancient over there. You know, I mean, the Renaissance, the 15th century Renaissance, was happened as a result of the European cultures meeting up with a culture that was a thousand years ahead of them, and who were they? Yeah, that was the the, 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 ma- the Arabian mathematics, the Persian building system. They were a thousand years ahead of us, <clears throat> and it's not hard to delineate that when you start looking at the maps. I've got maps you can click if you dig into my site deep enough, where you can go look at the ruins in Iraq and in Lebanon, and they're just astounding, you know. The implications are overwhelming. And now, and the people over there, they're not a bunch of dumb ragheads, you know. <laughs> they weren't the ones for crying out loud that, that originated a lot of our geometry and mathematical systems. Their, their cultural uh, heritage is, is profound. And what they did with building was profound. Right. And I, th- and, I think and, uh, and and now I'm hearing things like, you know, 
here's how my brain gets triggered for better or worse or in terms of that which is real or that which is unreal. I don't care, but I'm triggered when I hear something like the Iran saying, hey, we've got a device here that's a mysterious weapon. Don't mess with us. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Hmm. Sounds like mean? Khrushchev in, in 55. <laughs> yeah, and we can have our hard technology and our military might, our big thumpers, you know. But, you know, some guy can find something or develop something and suddenly it's all over. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing about technology. And, and whether it's a psychic technology or whether it's a physical technology with, with, with dials and buttons, my, my, whole, my whole shtick for the last, ever since 9-11 has been, well, man, we, we, we better get a handle on our, on our own Promethean, Faustian tendencies or the technology will destroy itself, you know? We don't have the option that we had prior to 1945. Now we have all this technology that's very, very dangerous, and, and, and literally will, you know, finish off at least our species and probably a few others with us. I'm not worried about the planet. Everyone's worried about Mother Earth. Mother Earth will probably wipe us off before we do anything that could harm her. But, uh, you know, the point is us. I mean, I don't want to see my fellow men and women die and my children not have a wonderful future. I see all these things as, you know, we're sort of on the cusp of one or the other because the technologies are getting to the, you know, I go to my website and your website, Kent, you know, when uh, the, the technologies that are being developed that are not particularly devastating, they're, if, if they're allowed to, you know, to come to fruition, they they point toward a future that is magnificent. But the caveat is we have to get there without blowing ourselves to bits. And I don't know, it just seems like we're right on the cusp of it, and if we can make it through the narrow neck... You know, to, yeah. Makes me want to tell another tale. Yeah, we got 20 minutes. We got 15 okay, here's minutes. We'll play one you. more from Kenny at the end of the night, so... Well, I was thinking, what what kind of if Iran has a so what, wait now Iran said they had some sort of fancy weapon that nobody yeah, knows they about. Yeah, they got a fancy weapon. Where was that? Was was that documented in in the? Yeah, that's been in the news. Okay, I've got it recorded in my tedious chronicling, which makes everybody think I'm some sort of war maniac. No, but I, I think you're I mean, an artist, and that's why that's they, why yeah, I commented. An artist that they you you look at what's going around. See, and you build a platform often. You you portray in your works and in your observations what's going around, and then you leap leap from that from that platform. So there's times when I'm doing very tedious stuff, you know, like chronicling a war. But what I'm anticipating is I'm going to start getting all these wild ideas as what's going on, and and uh, triggers will happen. Well, let me tell you a tale. What what might Iran has, you know, first of all, they have spectacular Persepolis and, and uh, spectacular archaeological sites from very ancient times showing a high level of, of development. But what do they have now? And did they d develop something now or did they dig something up and then re re rediscover it, reinvent rediscover it, reinvent it? Right. I don't know. One night in 96, I was on the Internet, and I went into an old 
uh, chat room that used to be on AOL. Mm-hmm. Remember the program uh, on TV called Sightings? Sure. Well, they had a chat, a corresponding chat. Uh, for instance, uh, a lot of those old programs and magazines like Omni, they had their own chats. And it was late one night. Here I, I, I was picking up on a, two guys talking, you know, by typing, but talking. And I just kind of watched it. <clears throat> and it was really a, an amazing story. This is way before uh, Indiana Jones and all that. But this this military guy, I think he's either Air Force or Navy Airborne. I can't remember which. And I'm, this, you know, I'm going by memory now. He said that he had been assigned to guard a package shipped over by air from Germany. Mm-hmm. It was a single package. There's nothing else on the on the on the plane except one rather large box, like about the size of an oh, I don't know. Uh, 12 feet by 6 feet by 4 feet, pretty large, heavy package that was all wrapped in and uh, padded, you know. And he was told that this was a, a special assignment. He had to be careful and not to meddle, but just, you know, be a guard. And that's it. And anyway, the, the, it went from Germany to somewhere in California to a base in California and he didn't mention this I don't believe specifically but I got the I got he was talking to another guy so there's chat going on uh, and I didn't enter into it I was just watching it two more mm-hmm. and he said he went to an underground base and I be, I got the notion that it was China Lake which is California yeah which is a naval facility top secret facility and anyway the next phase two he was his sentry duty continued through the night. He was guarding this darn package. <laughs> and he was told, you know, to not interfere in any way with the, with the container. But he said that as the night wore on, he, he started coming apart emotionally because this sound started coming out of the package. Not only a sound, but a buzz, an electromagnetic field. He said it sounded... That the closest thing you could think of was sort of the cosmic voices that we heard in the 2001 Space Odyssey. Remember that? Yep. Yep. Arthur C. The music of the spheres, and he yeah. said it began to build and build and build like a million voices, <laughs> and that building in the crescendo, and it was causing chills and electromagnetic sensation coming out to where he was falling apart. And at that point, he couldn't take it anymore, and he turned around and examined the package to the point where he determined that it was an Ark. As in Ark of the Covenant? As in Ark of the Covenant. Well, apparently, they had cams on there, and they were kind of watching him as part of a pre-programmed experiment. And as soon as he began to make his move, you know, which was a move of desperation, and started peeling back some of the packing, they came in and... uh, they hauled him out of there really quick, and his commander told him, he, he said, well, I'm not going to discipline you for this because we've had, we've been watching this through surveillance cams. And he indicated that, yes, it was an ancient device. 
came out of an archaeological dig, and it had the, the cherubim wings, the whole bit, the gold plating. It was an ark. What the hell do you make of that? I mean, you buy it, or is it just a bunch of malarkey? Or? I don't know. But I, I made my own ark once, you know. I made it. <laughs> I, I used the, the measurements out of, out of the biblical account, and with so many cubits, two and a half cubits by one and a half cubits, and you, you start examining the ratios in that. It's a golden ratio. Golden rate, yeah, 1.61. It came out 1.66666, but uh, that's close enough to 1.618, which is uh -huh. a constant cost of pi. And so I yes. readjusted a little bit and built it. And uh, since then, I've, you know, a lot of people claim they have the Ark. And uh, whether it's in Ethiopia or still under the, the... The Templar Hall in Scotland or something. Yeah, or in the Temple of Jerusalem. Mm, Jerusalem, too, yeah. I'm thinking that... The, the, but the, what I'm starting to think now, and I could use feedback, you know, maybe I'm losing it a little bit, but I <laughs> let me just say this. I believe that some of the great cities that were built had had involved with them uh, in the construction of these cities, the defense of the cities, and their and their culture had some pretty interesting technological devices. And I'm beginning to wonder if the ark itself, which is essentially a capacitor, I found out. What the one you made? Yeah. Did you layer it? With it actually did something, the one you made? I put it, well, nobody's going to believe this. It's just a little dinky thing I built out of, like Hans would do. I built it out of whatever I could get. But I worked with the proportion. I added a crystal to the interior because I thought of the plates, the legends of the plates that were inside. I thought, huh, a crystal. And yeah, I sat on top of my new Sanyo TV and blew the circuitry out of it. I said that the repairman said, what the hell did you do? This is brand new. Good thing it's still covered by warranty. <laughs> There's even wilder stories behind it. I'm not even going to go into it. I had a guy that works for Boeing. One of the big shots at Boeing pulled up in a limo one day, come in to meet me in my house. I met him on chat. It wasn't just suddenly out of the clear blue skies. Uh -huh. But he saw that thing, and, and he had a conniption fit. <laughs> Looking at my little dinky, four and a half inches by two and a half inches arc that I made. And he said, man, he said, how did you figure that out? He said, we got to look at that. we got to examine it. You know, he just really went into it. <laughs> but, you know, there have been other people trying to construct these devices, too, and they were dangerous. Well, I mean, I mean we, we were talking, we've, we've had Hans as sort of a, a, a in-and-out thread tonight. I mean, Hans was a guy that... I mean, if it wasn't the Ark, he could build something similar, certainly. I mean, he was able to build these electronic devices that were certainly powerful and energy-driven. Well, William Henry says that the, what they have in Iraq that they're protecting and guarding and what we're going after are stargates. Stargates. Oh, great. You now, know? And uh, so what, uh, why were we in Lebanon? Uh, what's, the, what's the reason for Lebanon and its preponderant? Powerful It's getting late. It's powerful existence up there. You know, there's a story in that too. Wendy, my wife, sat on those rocks when she was 20 years old and had a really life changing experience. She won't tell me what happened. She'll just say, oh, well, I'm enlightened and you're not. 
<laughs> you know Wendy. I do. <laughs> Tell her I'm going to ask her on the air. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's what it'll take. She, maybe she wants a little notoriety. Tell her we'll do it on radio, and then she can tell us all what happened to her on the Bronx of Baalbek. Yeah, Baalbek. This is this is a sleuth that is open ended, and it's not over yet. It is a sleuth that's open ended, and I think it's worth you know people looking into because there's something. Well, you know, and I mean, regardless, like you say, I mean, it, the, the there are certainly the crowd that will say, well, the Occam's razor answer is, it, well, it's just a bunch of people that hate each other and they're fighting, and that's just the way it's always been. There's nothing, there's nothing, you know, esoteric going on whatsoever. But still, uh, it's major events that are happening on the planet right now that are probably going to affect a lot of people, it seems like. And um, there are lots of mythologies that talk about that being a very important place and, and the things that are happening. I don't know if it's self-fulfilling or what, but it's certainly... Bears are watching, Kent. So, and it, it might involve a level of understanding that we haven't copped to yet in the West. You know, uh, one thing our scientists and our physicists are afraid—they're—they're they're territories they're afraid or reluctant, or they think it's irrational to go into. You know, and that's the uh, where the physical environment meets mind itself mm. and uh, consciousness itself. The shaman goes there. Yeah. And you know, and you know what? Since you bring that up, the you know we hear about Islam, and we hear about the Sunni, and we hear of the Shia, and we hear of the Kurds in the north, but we don't hear about the Sufi, Kent. Kurds are Sufi. Uh, well, some of them are. Yeah. You know, but we don't hear about the Sufi, and they are the mystics. They are the shamans. You know, and they have access to the chaos. <laughs> Yeah, well, I have a neighbor that's a Kurd, and I've probably on your interviews and uh, past shows told you a little bit about him, but when you start talking to these guys, your sense of reality gets shaken up pretty intensely, because he was a he was a guy that traveled around as sort of a, a warden, not a warden, but a park ranger. And he traveled up in the north country, up in northern Iraq, up, you know. And he said he's seen things and, and found things like giant skeletal structures, bare, huge barrels with 18-foot people in it. <laughs> and that, uh, and when you look at, for instance, some of the the paintings on the walls of a, of a ziggurat, like a, at a sur, you'll see these big wing things that look like something out of Flash Gordon. You know, the guys that fly around with <laughs> their little rocket packs on. The Vulcan, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And he says, you know, they never left. They're still here. And this is the legendary Anunnaki, this gang. The Elohim, whatever you yeah, want to call them. There are lots of different words. Mm-hmm. But we share this world according to the Kurd and his understanding of things was it was a result of actually going out there into some remote areas and seeing what he saw they're still there he says well tom's going to tell kent and i got a feeling we're getting pretty close to something because uh as a song i played last night is called something's got to give and i don't see you know I, i mean i look at a lot of different trends and the great majority of them that I look at, whether it's resource depletion, spread of endemic disease, warfare, 
you know, weather manipulation, weather mani- manipulation, violence against children, whatever, all these things, they cannot be sustained. Something's going to give, and uh, you know what what comes of it. What's the next picture? You know, I don't know any better than anyone, but but I but I can certainly feel with some sort of certainty that we got changes, big changes around the corner. It's hard to know, but at the same time, you know what? We're we are responsible. It's our fault. We have to take the reins, whatever way we can. It may be in a very humble way, but in my opinion, uh, there's there's the need for the spiritual search, the metaphysical search, the search of the soul. But there's a we're here, you know, on Earth. And by being so, I think there's an element that we need to take responsibility for what goes on here and not say, well, the damn government, you know, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> we have to take responsibility. And you never know what, if you engage in an activity, what implications might, might flower from it. But, uh, ah, if I was 19 years old, I think the main thing about life would be to be out partying, you know, right now. Hell with it all, but but at the same time, you you know, I keep saying you know you know we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. At the same time, I feel a sense that I have to take responsibility, and I'm an old guy now, and so it's a lot easier for me to say that. You know, I can take certain risks because I'm old, and uh, uh, the time factors are different. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of time factors, my friend, uh, it's about three minutes till the time where I got to say goodbye. So, as always, two hours here and gone. Thanks for the wonderful conversation. And we'll hey, we're we're having the party next week for the for the birthday. So I'll I'll, I'll give you a call sometime. We'll just chat for a few minutes and we can um, celebrate a little next week and play some music. And oh, great. All right, but anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for everything you do. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, it. and I'd be glad to hear from any of you folks out there. All this ranting and raving on my part. Yeah, um, give out your your, uh, your website, Kent, and the, and the email address. Cyberspaceorbit.com. Bard's Quill, like Bard, B-A-R-D-S-Q-U-I-L-L, at AOL.com. All right, Bard's Quill at AOL.com, and on the web at www.cyberspaceorbit.com. Yeah. All right, my friend. Tell everyone I said hi and uh, take care of uh, Quentin and the kids, all right? Okay. All right, take care of yourself, all right? I'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, everybody, that was Kent, and this is Mike. we got just a couple minutes to finish things up. we got Isaac uh, just around the corner with Turkey Creek Crossing, playing some good music for you. And we'll be back next week with Radio Orbit's two-year birthday party. Be there or be square. All right. One more from Kenny Hall and the gang to finish things up. This is called the Indian War Whoop. Why not? Talk to you next week. It's Mike Radio Orbit. Stick around. KOPN.org on the web. I lost contact with my parents and my brother, and and they they didn't think I should ever get out of the house or go around anywhere, and you know, on my own. And I knew I could get get around very well, and so we had trouble that way when I was 16. Uh, they would uh, tell me, "Oh no, you can't go out. You can't go out. You can't go across town like like uh, all alone like that." And I said, "Yeah, well, who's going to take me?" Because they were all, they were working, and my brother had his own thing going. So I did. I went out. But, uh, 
And so anyway, uh, I got bawled out about her, but I, I still went. And then I came back one day, and, I, and all my mother could say, well, you shouldn't have left your house without shaving. So, yeah. so that was it. <laughs> 